You're listening to the Sunnybrook Unscripted Podcast, where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper, practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today, we are talking with Pastor Jeff Mose. Welcome or welcome back to the Sunnybrook Unscripted Podcast. I am Lydia Miller here with my dad, Pastor Jeff, continuing on in our series, What Does the Bible Say About Blank? Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the subject of hell, and today feels like it might be that for me, because today (laughs) we get to talk about what the Bible says about sex before marriage. Is there anybody (laughs) you'd rather talk about this than with your dad? Every other person on the planet. Uh, But I know this is a subject that is something that parents are wanting to know, young people are wanting to know, Uh, some of the college students that I mentor, this is something we talk about a lot, trying to figure out what the Bible says about this, what culture says about this, how we can live different in um, a world that is living a certain way. Now, I know the Bible is really clear on this, so let's go ahead and get into what the Bible specifically says about sex before marriage, and then we'll go into the culture piece of it as well. Yeah, and I I would say this. Listen, I don't know if the Bible ever at any point says premarital sex is wrong, but I think it gives context Mm -hmm. that would lead us to believe that. I, I think the two places I would look is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul actually is talking about the fact that there's a lot of sexual immorality going on. And then he says, hey, listen, to each of you, make sure that you have a husband, you have a wife, that it's carried out in that area. Usually the Greek word that is used with regards to that is porneia. It usually deals with all sorts of sexual immorality. But I think it also applies to this area of premarital sex. The only time God talks about you know, sex in a positive fashion is always in the context of marriage. Always. So, so I think we can kind of deduce from that portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this is God's desire. The other place I would look is Hebrews chapter 13, where he talks about, listen, marriage should be honored by all. And then he says, the marriage bed should be kept pure or undefiled. And again, it's kind of this idea that marriage sort of sanctifies this issue of sex. So I would say any time sex is talked about in scripture outside of the context of marriage it's always seen as wrong it's always sort of judged if you will it's always seen as sin so in the context of marriage is where sort of the blessing of god uh, acknowledgement of the fact that this is a good thing all of that which we should pause for a moment and say that sex is a good thing i mean we always think as christians oh boy that's just a It's actually created by God, and it was there for enjoyment in married couples. It was this issue of procreation. It was this issue of enjoyment and this issue of companionship. All of this uh, was really created, and it was created good. We've actually taken and distorted that, but from its original intent. And I can just tell you are loving this (laughs) This is even more uncomfortable than I thought it might be. Uh, But I want to talk about... talk about the purity culture idea. I don't know if you've heard that term. I grew up in the purity culture. We had purity rings. We had a purity pledge card that you had to like renew every two years, like to sign off on 
I don't know if anybody actually didn't ever renew their purity pledge, but it's had on the back of it. Every two years, you come back and let us know if you've stuck to it, which they're finding now, even from a biblical side, that that did some damage to people. It put a lot of pressure on marriage, put a lot of unrealistic expectations. So the last thing we want to do is have people Correct. stick to this and then set them up for failure on the other side. So what I often get asked by uh, college students is just, can you give me the why? Why is this better? Why Why is it so damaging if I don't stick to this? Why is this something that I should live by? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Lynn. And I, I used to explain it to youth in my youth ministry days this way, is when God designed sex between husband and wife in Genesis chapter 2, he said, listen, we're going to come together and you're going to become one. It was not only a physical union, but it was also this emotional, spiritual union that takes place as well. So now a couple decides, hey, listen, we're just kind of dating, we like each other, and we're going to come together in sort of this thing that's been preserved for marriage, and now they break up. The problem often is when you pull that apart, there's a piece of your soul, a piece of you spiritually, emotionally, that's sort of tethered to this other person, but now you've moved on with somebody else. Uh, we used to use this silly analogy, but I think it was often good as we'd talk to young people and say, listen, if it's freezing outside, below 32 degrees, you go outside, stick your tongue to a flagpole, you know, hold it there for a few minutes, and then take it away. And, and you know, to recognize there's a piece of your flesh, there's a piece of you that's sort of been left behind in that flagpole, and for people to walk away going, this doesn't hurt, and they're bleeding everywhere, is really kind of silly. Because I do think there's a sense in which when we join with people, maybe several people, outside of the context of marriage and move from person to person, it's one of the reasons we live so disintegrated with our soul, so not integrated together. It's, it's we've left a piece of our soul in a whole bunch of different places. And then often, and this usually happens with women because men can deny what they've done or compartmentalize it better than women, but they, they, they don't feel whole when they come into marriage. They struggle with guilt and not feeling as though they can fully give themselves to that. I, I just think there's evidence of that fact that, that really, uh, if you want to give your whole self to marriage, it, it would be better that you did so in the context of staying pure. Mm -hmm. So let's speak to the person who already messed this up. Maybe they came to Christ later in life. Maybe they didn't really understand the importance of this, or maybe they've They've messed up and they've realized, you know what, this is something that I want for myself. I don't like the way that I'm going. Talk about this idea of secondary virginity. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I would never end a message with young people without going there. Because again, I recognize as I was looking over the crowd, half, maybe three quarters of them had already messed up. Um, and, and so I wanted people to recognize that God is always a God of forgiveness and always the God of the second chance, so to speak. So we would often talk about this idea that if it's confessed before God, and I always say, share it with a few people around you who are going to hold you accountable. Hey, from this day forward, I want to try to live in purity until day of marriage. But I really believe that God forgives. I think he restores. I think as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, almost as if a sense he makes a decision to forget, I, I think he treats us brand new. And so at that point in time, I think we can go on. So I'd often say to young people, listen, there is such a thing as second virginity, so to speak. Even though you've messed up in that area, I believe God forgives and I do believe you can go on and make that kind of commitment. I think you can enter into marriage in wholeness then and those kinds of things uh, if you're willing to do so. So 
you know, prophet Isaiah said, listen, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And I, I think there's a sense in which when we confess that, deal with that, we are made new again. Do you have any encouragement for couples who are working to hold to that together? <laughs> uh, maybe they've both decided that this is something that they believe in, but they just need some encouragement together to stick with it or any tips or advice for them to help them. Yeah, boy, you are ring, really bringing me back to my high school days and my own struggle because this is not easy. So I, I think one of the things you got to do is, first of all, you got to talk about it. And I, <laughs> again, I would be careful where you talk about it because anytime you talk about it in private, or in, it could end up there. So I think you've got to make sure that you're always in a guarded, protected area. Talk about it with your um, you know, significant other, your person you're dating, whoever that might be, and say in effect, listen, are we committed to that? And, and, and both of you live in agreement. Then I do think accountability is a good thing. I think guys got to have an accountability partner as guys. We probably struggle with this maybe more than the women do. And then I think women ought to have another girl that you're an accountability partner with. And then I do think, in all honesty, it's a matter of staying out of dangerous zones. You know, we used to say the last thing you want to do is light the kitchen on fire and sit in it. You, you can't constantly have this sense of, you know, this passion is burning and now the two of you go alone or you look for an opportunity when your parents are out of the house or those. You're going to have to constantly guard yourself. Scripture often talks about the fact that we just got to be very careful that we guard our heart and our mind. And I think young people today got to do that. Stay away from danger zones, you know what those are. Stay away from being alone. Uh, you know when that can be brought about, whatever that might be. If you want to live above that, you got to be committed to it. I think especially from the female side, there's this fear, especially in girls I talk to, that if you bring that up, if you have that conversation, if you tell them, I want to wait, that they're going to leave, that that's what they want from you. And if you don't give that to them, then they might not stick around. So I would just encourage uh, girls out there, what I tell the girls that I mentor, that if he is worth it, he will wait. Um, and maybe it's not always what he has lived by. Maybe it's not what he grew up in. But uh, you want someone who is pursuing Christ in the same way that you are. And if he uh, is worth marrying and spending your life with, then he uh, will be willing to wait for you. I agree, Lynn. And it's the one thing we used to often say, because girls struggle with this more, and you just shared it while well, I Guys are probably more violators of it. Girls struggle with that idea of, oh, he's going to leave me. I, I think at some point in time, we've got to get self-confidence in who we are in Christ, make standards, and stick with them. And if they walk, they run, they, and I know that's not easy, but then they walk. We used to use this line all of the time in youth ministry that just came to mind now, but we used to say, listen, a guy plays at love because what he ultimately wants is sex. A girl plays at sex because what she ultimately wants is love. And often what I've found happen is a guy gets what he wants, but the girl doesn't get what she wants. And so I just, I, I would say, especially to girls, guard and protect yourself a little bit better because guys will use all kinds of lines and things that they don't ultimately mean to bring you to the place of what they ultimately want and you girls often end up feeling robbed and gypped and used and all of that. So again, commit to the standard. 
Well, I think that is all I can stand talking about <laughs> burning passions with you. So we're going to go ahead and wrap that right there. But there's, there's no no part two? No. Nope. Just this part one. <laughs> and bad. we will never talk about this again. But there is all sorts of great resources out there. And I would encourage you, especially if you're a younger couple that's trying to live by this, there's some great young adult small groups here at the church, college small groups, um, and people that you can really surround yourself with to kind of get those built-in accountability partners as well. But thank you so much for joining us this week for this awkward podcast together. We hope to see you next time. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org or download the Sunnybrook Church app. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.